Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is Skinwalker Ranch? What is a skinwalker? Do UFOs and bizarre creatures really come out of holes in the air there? Hello and welcome to the 957th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, and on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those shape-shifting questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. James Keenan is a prolific novelist, researcher, and boots-on-the-ground investigator, and you probably have seen him on the first season of The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch on the History Channel. James worked in law enforcement and public, uh, I should say, public investigation, private investigations for over 20 years, and he has appeared on numerous television and radio shows and at conferences. His subjects include the paranormal, lost uh, history, uh, giants, and UFOs. Most recently, he has focused much of his time and energy on the unexplained events occurring in and around Skinwalker Ranch in northeastern Utah. So, James Keenan, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, Paul. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, it's great, great to have have you with us. And uh, I guess we'll we'll just hop right into it because we like to get into the nitty gritty of things very quickly. So, what is Skinwalker Ranch, and how did it become, or well, how did you become involved with it? Yes. So, Skinwalker Ranch is one of those paranormal hotspots. Ton of high strangeness going on. Uh, history going back, at, you know, at least for 70, 80 years. Uh, obviously, it's a lot uh, longer than that. And you have all types of paranormal activity, uh, you know, including UFOs, UAPs, uh, dogmen, skinwalkers. You have the high strangeness in the fact that there's this transient energy, both magnetic and electromagnetic, that is constantly moving around the property, which is uh, approximately 512 acres. Uh, remember, too, that uh, the paranormal doesn't stick to boundaries that humans have made, so it's actually all throughout the Uinta Basin, which is in northeastern Utah, where Skinwalker Ranch is located. And I got involved. Um, my background from an educational standpoint, is in anthropology and archaeology. I have my degrees in interdisciplinary studies from the University of California at Santa Barbara. And my main focus, especially during my excavations, was in Mesoamerica areas, specifically the Yucatan Peninsula and the island of Cozumel, uh, which is on the northeast point of Mexico. And m- my focus in on the Maya culture and the Toltec and the, uh, the Mexica led me to um, move far, farther north into the United States because I noticed that there was a lot of similarities, not just with the language of the Nahuatl language, but uh, cultural, culturally a lot of what was being written down or kept in artifacts and petroglyphs, pictographs, or other type of script was very similar. And eventually I made my way up to northeastern Utah because there are two groups of these desert archaic people uh, 
We don't really know who they were, at least who they originated as, and we just have them named by the the cultural sites that we found artifacts. One is the Fremont, the other is Barrier Canyon style. There's also uh, San Juan River, which would probably be a third, where they have these truly unique and bizarre petroglyphs and pictographs in regards to the anthropomorphic and zoomorphic figures and the geometric figures that are within them. A lot of it doesn't make sense. They're very strange looking, and normal, common, daily routines and daily life that other locations around the world collect, like maize, corn, uh, musical play, animals, is missing. Uh, 95% of the, the, this rock art is very, well, it's truly unique, uh, almost bizarre. And as I was collecting all these data points and logging them in between the similarities between Mesoamerican culture and this desert southwest, I started seeing some very unique uh, designs and interesting things going on that really folk that, that seemed to focus in in that past in regards to uh, the high strangeness that I also uh, delve into, you know, research-wise and investigate at a different level, and a lot of people will consider that paranormal. And I knew a little about Skinwalker Ranch. I had no clue where it was. I didn't know that it was 19 miles away from where I was uh, doing my research, and Somehow I ended up coming in contact with uh, somebody from the Ute tribe. The Ute are the, is the reservation that's currently there. They were not the Native Americans in that area that uh, people think that this phenomenon is connected to. It's actually the Shoshone and the Timpanogos and the Paiute. Uh, the Ute were late to that area. But they told me, hey, you know, Skinwalker Ranch is down here and you're talking about these uh, unique-looking uh, creatures and, and things that are occurring in the petroglyphs. Well, it's still occurring. And so I ended up, uh, you know, making contact with those that currently work uh, at the ranch. And this was before the show. And uh, our research you know, when we put our research together, a lot of it was a crossover between this ancient archaic past and what's happening now. So uh, it, it almost pushes the history of the land and, and the high strangeness that's occurring back thousands of years, if not all the way past the last ice age, uh, and the connectivity between the gods of Mesoamerica, which I believe were living deities, especially from Teotihuacan, Tenochtitlan, Chihuacan, um, mainly giants or, or people of large stature, uh, there was this huge connection, and there continues to be, and that's what my focus is on, not just the research, uh, you know, where I'm traveling down to Mexico City, I just got back from there, plan a trip to Madrid, Spain, to go to the Museo de Americas, but... Uh, yeah, there's this, this, this between everything that's occurred and, you know, it's ongoing. And that's where we're, you know, that's where it's at. That's how I got uh, focused in on, on the ranch. Okay. And uh, so obviously, uh, Ben, did you want to say? Uh, yes, two things. Number one, um, James, is your, is, your can it, is your camera still active? 
If so, it is, yes. Oh, okay. For whatever reason, maybe it's just a, a poor connection. We, 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 we don't have the, the uh, camera on our end. Um, well, not, not critical. Not, it's, not, it's not critical. It's, no. just a, it's, it's just a production note. Um, so this, this, is, this is really interesting stuff. And also, I didn't expect it to go in this direction. I'm very happy that you took it in this direction because I myself am, am, am very fascinated by the idea of giants, especially in, in cultures. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, uh, you might be, of uh, a universal history. It's, it's this idea that throughout all cultures, there's a, a, a similar narrative in all all sort of creation stories, all sort of mythology, theology, that, that there's always these archetypes that are just constant throughout cultures. And one of them is giants. And my, my sort of interest in this sort of leads to what is the connection of this history? I guess I guess you could say this continuing narrative of um, these ancient cultures and how and how Skinwalker Ranch is sort of the the embodiment of this continuation. Yeah. So what you're talking about is cultural diffusionism. Uh, 99.9% of the anthropologists and archaeologists will tell you that's BS. That there's no way that uh, Back in the day, these cultures and civilizations around the world were connected, and that's that's just bogus. It, it was totally connected. Many of them were seafaring, like you said. The deities are the are very similar, if not identical. Um, what we have going on throughout the world, you know, you have this constant talk of the last world, and then entering into this world, which is either the fourth or fifth world, depending on what Native American culture you're talking about, was destroyed by a great deluge. And um, as you uh, go through the world, uh, through different places, like I, I focus in a lot on uh, the upper United Kingdom, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Mexico, the desert southwest. Uh, recently, and I do have plans on, uh, you know, going to what would have been ancient Armenia because that's where I believe the origination point was for the giants and for other cultures, Ooh. which was Mount Ararat. And people think, well, Armenia is this really tiny little spot, but no, heck no. In the past, it encompassed most of what we consider Turkey right now. So you have history starting from Armenia where these two giants fought one another and the benevolent one and became a living deity to the ancient Armenians. And what people don't realize is that ancient Sumerians actually created cuneiform text writing to trade with the ancient Armenians because they were that important. Mm. And, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And uh, what happens now is you have a group of probably one of the last of the giants to survive, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> which is known as the Sete Ka. Uh, the Paiute considered them the red-headed cannibal giants. And guess where they were focused on was in Nevada and Utah. And you have a lot of the petroglyphs showing these anthropomorphic figures that have been carved into the rock art that's well over seven feet tall. Um, a specific example is uh, McConkie Ranch, which is also known as Dry Fork Canyon petroglyphs, where you have this carving into the rock art well over seven feet tall and it uh, 
It has six digits on each of its hands and these massive feet. It's surrounded by other large uh, anthropomorphic figures of large stature. They look to be headhunters. They've taken trophy heads. And you see this focus that the Native Americans were attempting to, I don't know if it was for protection to let people know when they're entering the area to watch out for these uh, beings, or if it was to pass, excuse me, pass this history on to future generations. But it encompasses everywhere where Skinwalker Ranch is. And the petroglyphs also have what look to be what many would consider or say a portal or a gateway to elsewhere or interdimensional. I, I call it an electron diffusion region uh, because I believe it's a magnetic anomaly coming mm-hmm. in contact yeah. with an electromagnetic anomaly. You're kind of uh, fading out there, James. Oh, can you hear me? I mean, I can hear you, but uh, yeah. if you, you could speak up a little bit. Sure. So you, you have these, uh, these electron diffusion regions, which are magnetic uh, anomalies coming into contact with electromagnetic anomalies and creating what people consider portals. And this looks to be captured in that rock art, which is all around uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Um, Skinwalker Ranch itself has a very interesting petroglyph that's never spoken about, which is the... Uh, which is identical to the Freemason uh, square and compass with the circle within the circle at the bottom. But I Mm -hmm. truly believe that it may be a little older and may have been put there by the Mexicans or the Spaniards uh, based on mining that occurred in the Mesa. And it it could be uh, that the, the Freemasons that were there, they were the ninth black infantry in the cavalry that were at Fort Duchesne. 96% 96% of them were Freemasons, which not many people know. No. So they could have also been focused in on the Mesa and what's inside of that. And, and I think it was threefold that the Spaniards, the Mexicans, and the the Ninth Black Cavalry knew what was going on there in the past, what was being mined, and who was doing it, which I believe was a group of giants that the Navajo called the Starnake. So it's all, it's all intertwined. Wow. Um, and it's interesting how it all leads uh, this huge connection between the entire world right to that northeastern part of Utah. So moving forward in history, we come to the 1990s, or correct me if I'm wrong, but it was before that, and Bigelow Laboratories, Robert Bigelow, uh, how did he get interested in this uh, Skinwalker Ranch, or the Sherman Ranch as it was called also, I guess, and uh, how did modern Americans get into the research of this, and w- what prompted that? And uh, what do you remember from that? Yeah, so uh, Robert Bigelow read a story in a small paper, I think it was the Deseret News, about this uh, rancher and his family that had purchased uh, the property in 93 or 94. And uh, it was uh, Terry Sherman and his family. And almost immediately they had this run-in with all this paranormal uh, they had cattle mutilations. They had this dire wolf that they shot, and it, it slightly affected it, but didn't yeah, You're fading it. out again, unfortunately. Um, can you hear me? Yes. That's better. Okay. So uh, you had this strange creatures. Uh, they had UFOs, UAPs that the Sherman family was noticing, and it was truly bizarre. And it was written about in the Deseret News, and Robert Bigelow 
contacted Terry Sherman. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, NIDS was investigating, which is the National Institute for Discovery Sciences. And over the next couple of years, um, they had all this interesting high strangeness reported to them by Terry Sherman. Eventually, the Shermans left and sold the ranch to Robert Bigelow for $200,000. He took over, continued the... Uh, investigation with NIDS, um, everything that, well, 95% of what occurred has not been told to the public. Eventually, down the line, he dissolved NIDS and created BASS, which was the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space uh, System, or I, I can't remember quite the acronym completely at the time, but it was funded at one point by the OSAP program, which we've all heard, which is the Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program, which, you know, involves this tic, the, the tic-tac-shaped craft that was uh, out in the Pacific and uh, eventually led to um, the ATIP program. But uh, not everybody recognizes that OSAP was created specifically for Skinwalker Ranch, and the BAST team only later went out further than the boundaries uh, to collect UFO data. But a more majority of that was just purchased and taken from MUFON. So a lot of uh, what we are told, because very little is known about that, and I mean, it's classified, it was, uh, you know, government uh, paid and funded. But we had two books come out written by Colm Kelleher and George Knapp. Um, the last one was Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, which released a little bit of that uh, prior classified information. Yeah, I just reread um, it. Right. So, yeah, and, and that was, uh, you, you know, Bob Bigelow's uh, backstory into the ranch and how it became better known to the public. Well, one of the, uh, just from our point of view, we... Um have our own vocabulary for these things. Uh, we, we call it flap areas. All right. And uh, obviously, the Skidmarker Ranch seems to be the mother of all flap areas because there's been the funding and the personnel to research it properly. Uh, but it, it has struck me, it struck us in uh, the, we, we work generally on six flap areas uh, concurrently. And in every single one, we run into the military or something that looks like the military. And what you just described may indicate precisely why. Wouldn't we love to weaponize the paranormal or the uh, quantum principles or whatever it is that, that are behind these high strangeness phenomena? And uh, you just described in detail uh, how that's being done at... Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and then it continues from there, as I understand it. Yeah, it's uh, now in uh, different hands. There's a new individual that owns it. There's a different team investigating it. Yeah. Uh, the public has been uh, given a fantastic uh, opportunity to uh, go along for the ride, I guess you could say, uh, from the History Channel's television show. Well, Ben's mom and loves it, and I, which I find rather disconcerting. <laughs> he hasn't been too interested in this, uh, well, this it's, subject it's, previously. It's entertaining, to say the least. I think it's very well done, frankly. Um, 
But we have a couple of questions I think that would be appropriate to ask now mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Peter Shelley in Bogota, Colombia, one of our uh, guest co-hosts from time to time. Ben, if you would. Sure thing. Okie dokie. So Peter writes to us, uh, can you uh, explain the discovery you made regarding a NASA site 16 miles away from the ranch involving anomalous cavities under a huge cement square? Boy, that's an hour uh, talk show in and of itself. <laughs> 25 minutes uh, or, le- or 25 yeah. words or less. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, this is part okay. one. We can always do yeah. more shows. Uh, so as a matter of fact, on my YouTube channel, uh, I just put up a couple weeks uh, an entire presentation on that because it's just incredible. You know, I I almost feel like it was unfortunate that I fell down that rabbit hole. But uh, there's a NASA site 16 miles east of the ranch that was a CIA NASA uh, work site. It, It wasn't classified. I think that's bogus. I think part of it probably is. They used old USGS systems, they're stating um, seismometers that were underground to track and see how sonic booms from our own top secret aircraft were being noticed or, you know, if they were capable of not being seen, I guess, on, uh, on what's occurring underground. And this was in the mid to late 1960s. Uh, The CIA and NASA took over the site and um, opened up their own project in the early 70s, but they used a lot of that old USGS data that came from the 1960s. And so the site's abandoned. Uh, Anybody can go out there. Uh, They just have to turn off on McCoy Flats before you get to Vernal. But so nobody, everybody talked about it. It was known somewhat. The locals knew about it, but nobody had ever really delved into it deeper and gone into what the USGS was doing out there. And lo and behold, I found several uh, now not classified documents from USGS that they had this massive um, array underground, uh, seismic array. Some One was a shallow array, which encompassed 15.2 miles of the Uinta Basin. Uh, they were connected. It was drilled between 80 and 200 feet below ground. Then they had these deep vertical arrays that were drilled down to 9,000 feet. And they were supposedly testing for uh, earthquakes, how explosions in the area uh, were captured on data and PNS waves. And uh, also, you know, what the military jets were doing when they would create sonic booms. There were sister sites in right outside of Flagstaff, Arizona, and one, I, the other one I think was uh, outside of Edwards Air Force Base. And it's just interesting because you and I know that there's no way they would have spent this much money for what's in the documents. There had to be something else that they were monitoring underground in that area because a lot of the PNS wave studies always seem to entail what ended in the Uinta Basin, even if it was uh, coming, you know, north or southeast or west from other countries. So it may have been that they were attempting to maybe spy on other nations through, I always call it ground traffic, 
you know, what's occurring if they were detonating nuclear bombs in China or Russia, we would have been able to pick it up in the Uinta Basin. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. So they put this array underground. A company called Geotech was a subcontractor. They were paid a quarter million dollars to remove all of this material, which I went, I took out 3D ground imaging and GPR and immediately found multiple sites that it was still underground. And I have the 3D imaging in the uh, presentations. Uh, so that's bogus. That uh, it, I mean, it could have been somewhat removed, but not all of it. And you got to think after 70 years, all that wiring is becoming exposed. Uh, all the collection uh, technology that's underground is exposed. Is that energizing uh, natural energy or helping uh, something increase the output of energy that's available under the basin? And is it creating or is it attracting this phenomena that we're seeing? And even crazier is they put in these half a million plus kilovolt power lines uh, in the early 1980s, maybe around 83, 85. Guess where they go directly across this underground array? So do we have this tracking now and arcing and, and you know, how uh, natural energy uh, encompasses around these power lines? Is it energizing through this wiring now? with uh, the southwest corner of the array only being one point, about 1.8 miles away from the Mesa above Skinwalker Ranch, and I think it's like 2.76 or 77 miles from the Skinwalker Ranch headquarters. So it, it's just interesting how you have all these moving parts to the phenomena that's occurring. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned the uh, high high-tension wires. We find... I've found over the years that uh, a good 80% of the major garden variety paranormal cases that I've investigated take place within 200 feet of high tension wires. Uh, and in the older days, the insulation was really not so great. When I was a reporter uh, for a small daily, I actually stood under some high tension wires with a neon light bulb and it lit up. So. <laughs> I mean, there, there are all sorts of electrical connections here somewhere. Pardon the pun. Uh, why don't we take our mid-show break? And uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with Skinwalker Ranch and our great guest, James Keenan. So stick with us. This is John Martin with an AARP Rhode Island update. In a thriving community, people of all ages and abilities have a variety of safe and accessible options for getting around. Walking, biking, pushing a stroller, or maneuvering a wheelchair, taking public transportation, or driving your own car. Planning, designing, and building roads that meet the needs of all users is essential to building a truly livable community. Complete Streets Design allows everyone to share the road and get their own safe piece of the street. Join AARP Rhode Island on Tuesday, August 9th at 10 a.m. for a free virtual forum featuring national and local experts showcasing the successful implementation of Complete Streets projects around the country and in Rhode Island and how communities benefit. Learn how cities and towns consider and incorporate these design principles and how you can get involved in your community. That's Tuesday, August 9th at 10 a.m. Register today. Join us. Register at aarp.org slash rievents. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON Radio AM and FM 
And we have our great guest today, James Keenan, and we're talking about Skinwalker Ranch. Mm. Now, James, before we get into Peter's second question, why is it that Bigelow sold the ranch, and uh, why did his why did his research stop, or did it? Yeah, so I, I I feel I'm uncomfortable with telling you what I think the reason was. Um, okay, well, I, we don't want I, to I always worry with uh, you know without proof. Um, well, anyways, I think he the main point that people think is that he moved on with what he was interested in, which was more about life after death. And I believe that the OSAP program was not uh, funded again after the first two years by the, by the DIA uh, and the DOD. So there may have been a loss of interest there in regards to, uh, you know, not wanting to spend your, your own money or possibly why they wanted the money in the first place. Maybe they had ulterior motives as to what they really wanted to use it for, but were held to very specific points that they could spend the money on. And I don't think that's what they really wanted. They wanted the other points that the DIA didn't want them to look into. They wanted it to be strictly UAP phenomenon. And... I also believe that a large part of what was going on was OSAP was used to test how this phenomenon, what it was doing, <clears throat> excuse me, what it was doing to human beings from a physiological standpoint and uh, psychological. And it's even listed uh, in the reports, the, the DIA reports, that this was number nine and number ten, I believe. And now, after that was done, we had these issues with the, uh, you know, the Havana syndrome attacks and all that, which are very similar to what did occur and continues to occur at Skinwalker Ranch and in the Uinta Basin and is actually being tracked by additional uh, physicists and scientists in the area. So I think it, it was twofold that uh, Robert Bigelow really wanted to move on to something that he felt was more important. Um, he could have also f possibly felt that the skinwalker phenomena that follows you home uh, had an issue with his own family. Mm -hmm. And then again, the funding of OSAP. I think those were probably the three main reasons or points that are known to the public in regards to why he sold the ranch in 2016 okay. to the new owner. All right. Now, what phenomena have you yourself observed at Skinwalker Ranch? Sure. So there is a transient magnetic energy, which is incredible. Uh, as a matter of fact, the most magnetic um, phenomena that I've ever come in contact with is three and a half feet south of the ranch's southern border. And then there's one on the triangle that you saw on the show and two up on the mesa. And, and what's crazy is they're in a perfect diagonal line uh, when you put it to GPS coordinates, which was shown on the show as well. 
And this energy sometimes is so strong that you can suddenly see, you know, your hair rising up on your body. Um, You start getting like this nausea. Uh, Your ears start ringing. Um, You get a little bit of blurred vision. And and then it's gone. And the the readings that I take, uh, which are uh, in micro Tesla with a vector magnetometer or a cesium magnetometer, go anywhere between a negative 14 all the way up to an 89 micro Tesla. The lower numbers, meaning that there should be some type of cavity or void below ground. The upper numbers, there should be some type of magnetic energy. Uh, even like a massive magnet at that uh, that level, that magnitude, mm-hmm. and it's it's just insane uh, because uh, it, that should never occur. There should be you know one reading; it, it'll be off a little or a little difference based on the time of day and the sun, but never ever like that. Yeah. So it's yeah, been concerning. there, done that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what is Peter's uh, second question there, Ben? So Peter. Uh, continues on to, to ask, in a recent video you released, you show an image of the two most well-known Skinwalker books and say, we need to reclassify one as fictional. Which one is fictional in your opinion and why? And uh, what was the motivation if it was fictional? Yeah, uh, again, this is that question that's going to get me in trouble, so I'll, I'll <laughs> keep it to a minimum. Uh, I, I know several of the individuals from that time period and the data that co- was collected was some of it was debunked but still used as if it was real and there was money involved bonuses involved as to what people could find or locate so you really got to be hesitant as to what's being told you know whenever money is involved yeah it's a, an incentive to report to the government and to Robert Bigelow that, hey, we found something or, or this occurred when maybe or possibly it didn't or it didn't to the level that was placed into the journals of those individuals. So, um, I, I, again, I just tell people really when you're reading or whatever you're reading, um, you know, take the time out to really think about what's being told and, and look and ask yourself, was there evidence presented other than somebody's word or whoever wrote the book um, you know other is there something that can really back that and, and what's really neat and, and don't get me wrong I absolutely believe there's phenomena occurring on the ranch I, I know for a fact um, that there is this space time alteration where things from the past catch up to the present and you can interact with it to a certain degree, not fully. But I think that maybe some of that data that was collected was piggybacked off of the very few things that really took place on the ranch. So um, I write fiction. And I put a lot of reality into those books. I just believe that it's best to start out fictionally and then people can kind of guess instead of going the other way. Well, that makes sense. I mean, human, That could be a good tool. Well, I mean, humans learn through narrative, right? You know, we learn through stories. We make sense of the world through stories. 
and and it, it makes very complicated things a lot easier to grasp if it's in the form of a narrative, right? That's why, you know, it's like, oh, you you you, you know, it's why stories are stories, right? It's why news stories are called news stories. It's how we understand things. Well, some of that's fiction too. <laughs> Forty-two years in journalism, I that, can testify to that. <laughs> that is that is very true. Um, so all all this kind of kind of being said, James, um, what do you think? If if you had to kind of take a take a like a swing and a guess at it, what could possibly? I I, I guess we kind of touched on this earlier, which is the possible you know maybe weaponization of the paranormal or you or know, commercialization or commercialization of it. Um, in my in my opinion, being a modern person um, who sort of is un, unsatisfied with how the modern world kind of views reality. Um, it, it's it's very uh, disassociated. We'll, we'll call it that, right? You you look at we we all sort of look at things in in one way, which is not really accurate, right? So it's like you can you can look you can look at this this board this this board that's in front of me, right? There's a whole bunch of you know bells and whistles, bobs, you know levels, all all sorts of stuff like that, and it's like okay, well, you know. We instinctively think of it in many different ways. So we, we think of it as a piece of technology. We think of it as a way to manipulate volume so people can hear things. But in a sense, there's sort of this un-spoken sort of definition of what's being used in it. Now, my, my sort of odd metaphor is, is to be basically say there's, there's a multiplicity of reality that's happening. In Skinwalker Ranch happens to be a really great sort of illustration of this because you know you have the scientific phenomena that's going on you know you have all of these these readings and such it, in from what it sounds like it sounds like whoever was involved with this was dissatisfied with what they found is that is that sort of accurate yeah i, I think that's probably a good part of it um, well what do you think I, they were looking for if, if you had to take a guess. I th- I believe they were looking for <laughs> another place or the ability to go elsewhere. Um, and again, people would consider that an interdimensional or multidimensional portal or gateway. You can see that in the oral tradition, excuse me, you can hear that in the oral traditions of several of the tribes in the area, see it in the rock art. And I think it was twofold. I think they that maybe it's uh, potential of weaponization, but the other is to see how the phenomenon or the phenomena affects human humans. And maybe is has it already been weaponized? It's possible, and that's what's occurring now around the world with this Havana syndrome. But I think that that phenomenon occurring is at a high rate at the ranch, uh, just where Skinwalker Ridge is and the Triangle and Homestead 2. It's almost all the time. So the ability to collect that data on that phenomenon is constant, ongoing, you know it's going to be there. Uh, does that output allow for other phenomena to occur or attract other phenomena? 
Yes, I believe that's what's happening as well. So you're also having the opportunity to investigate, uh, you know, things that go into ufology, into the paranormal. Um, and then for me, these ancient lost civilizations, they were obviously aware of this and we're in the area. So, yeah, it's, it's all-encompassing. So with that, that same vein, um, the sort of ancient view, right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say, you know, the, the natives, the locals at the, at the time, and maybe still today, the, the view of it seems to be, as you said, all-encompassing. Now, with our fun modern brains that like to break everything apart, do you feel, well, do, do, you, do you think that the, the results of this were approached with a modern mind and therefore just didn't comprehend it? Yes, 100%. They left out the most important aspect in all the research uh, until very recently. As a matter of fact, within the last year and a half, you finally see the missing part, which is the Native American culture, uh, the historic background. You've got to get away from just the last hundred years that uh, Caucasian people moved in and collected data and, and go to the information that's been there for thousands of years. And you just started seeing this halfway through uh, season two last year, and it became a large part of this season because why reinvent the wheel when all you have to do is locate and understand the data that's available already? And I think what people are missing is that circle stone up on the ridge, which is owned uh, actually by uh, Skinwalker Ranch, it's one of these small little parts of the mesa that's owned by them, is super important because no matter where you go in the world, you see these circle stones or these carns, and there's this energy available there. You can monitor it. You can capture the data. Stonehenge is another one. Clava Carns in Scotland, uh, the circle stones in Armenia, here in the Superstition uh, Mountains where I live in you know uh, the Phoenix area, uh, you capture this. And they're just now realizing that it really is an important aspect that was missing is the history. Yeah, you know, it um, really reminded me of, uh, particularly the spiral carvings reminded me of the work of Paul Deborah in the UK and the Dragon Project. You know, and, and his theories are very, very parallel with those. Mm. Superstition Mountains, I was there last October. Well, we're going to have to hook up next time I'm over there or, or yeah, next time yeah. we're over there. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, because you pretty much answered this, uh, are phenomena or have they been exaggerated at any point or another? And I'll, I'll take it that the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon is the book that's more more factual. Yeah, I don't want to keep dragging you through that. No, but. no, it, it, it's more factual because it was paid for with government funding, so it better be. But um, <laughs> you yeah. know, I labeled it as maybe it, it needs to be taken in as evidence for uh, you know looking at it uh, through a, a Senate subcommittee or something like that. Okay. Uh, so, and I'll leave it at that. You know, people can read and they'll see what I'm talking about. Right, fair uh, enough. So. Yeah, yeah. Was a lot of it exaggerated? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if anybody were to attempt to tell me I, I'm crazy or that didn't happen, I, I have proof. Uh, you know, it's available, and uh, I, I feel okay talking about that. 
Yeah, no, no, that's, I mean, we've seen stuff in flap areas that, that would blow your socks off, and we got it on video for crying out loud. So, I mean, uh, we know that the, uh, many of these things are real. The interpretation is up for grabs, perhaps. But um, what are um, the next steps, in your opinion, of what should be done at Skinwalker Ranch as far as research sure. is concerned? Sure, and, and, and you know, one thing that uh, I just want to touch on, too, before I forget, is when you look at a lot of these uh, paranormal locations around the United States, a lot of them have wells in their basement uh, mm-hmm. or, or water underground. Yep. And guess what? Skinwalker Ridge has the same thing. It has this funneling of um, moderately saline water that's uh, very, it's hard water. Hmm. And does that play into the energy available? Oh, 100%. I think think we need to look and start tracking um, at Skinwalker Ranch uh, phenomena elsewhere and how it associates with what's going on at the ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we need to start connecting the dots in regards to what's powering what underground that leads to what's above the ranch at 5,000 feet, and then where is that energy or data being transmitted to. And the other thing is we need to focus on bringing in the data from the ancient people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and following the maps that are already out there on the rock art uh, because it's interesting where it leads to. Um, so hint, hint, maybe on or around the area we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, it, it, we just have to start tying in the pieces and focusing more on the energies, uh, where the energy is um, coming from and what it's being allocated to. So there's a really fascinating um, common denominator between you know I'm going to take a step step to the a side step, not, not exactly a step back um, in in sort of different different folklores around the world where not just giants but but monsters as well all forms of them sort of exist on the on the outskirts of society right you know the the extreme example of this with Norse mythology you know there's the, the boundary of the world and on the other side of it you know you have all sorts of monsters that run around in um, um, uh, Jotunheim and all those places um, but this you know it's it's sort of out of the way it's far out of the way it's on the edges edges of, of society essentially right so if we if we sort of view it in this in this way, you know, humans have always tried to kind of order, you know, chaos, right? You can you can view it as, you know, civilization being order and everything on the outside of it being chaos. And so we go out and we try to order the chaos. Now, do you believe that these 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 petrogra- these petrographs uh, or petroglyphs? I'm sorry, petroglyphs and all sorts of all sorts of these other Im- images were were warnings or was it a way to sort of order? This this sort of reality on the outskirts of society. Yeah, I think it's both. I, I believe that there are some that are there as a warning, uh, mapping out you know where and what what and where it was occurring, and then the other ones that are uh, they're capturing that other part of it, the other data. So yeah, it, it's it's both. Okay, now Peter. Uh, uh, Peter, I'm thinking of Peter because Peter's another question. 
Uh, James, tell us about your books and where people can find out more about you. Sure. So uh, you can look up my books at Amazon.com forward slash author forward slash James Keenan. Um, I've written, I write in the paranormal genre, uh, but what I, I tell people is there's a lot of real information embedded in it. Uh, it's a good way to get around the NDAs or to be able to talk about um, what I couldn't when I was in law enforcement or private investigation because I didn't want to be, you know, let go the next day when I returned. Um, now I can be more open because I no longer uh, in, do that as a living. And uh, I have a trilogy out that is uh, for children that teaches them and introduces them into uh, high strangeness. So the first one deals with UFOs and aliens. The second one deals with shapeshifters, uh, specifically skinwalkers. And then the last one deals with uh, the Bigfoot phenomenon and giants. And then my newest one is called The Giant in the Golden Underworld uh, that takes place in uh, the Uinta Basin. And I just wanted to create a story with the reality of what's really happening. And for the first time, I actually introduced photography into the book, which in and of itself is a huge clue for people that are interested in what's happening that I just can't divulge any other way. You just have to take the clues out of the book, the, what's in the story and what's in the photos and run with it. Yeah, yeah. And you'll, you'll be excited uh, when you figure it out. Well, that's cool. Now, I remember when Ben uh, spent some time with the Navajo people uh, some years ago, mm. and they were amazed that you knew what a skidwalker was. Well, yeah, I'm not, not, I'm not just you know, some regular white kid from Rhode Island. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a weird white kid from Rhode Island. <laughs> So that, that was that was cool. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. They they didn't they didn't really expect that. I I uh I was also one of the only 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 kids in our our group because it was a it was a mission trip basically to go out there and you know try and try and help people out on the reservation and all that because it's uh really 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 rough circumstances that they that they live under and it's really really very really very sad. Um, but uh, when we were we were out there, I I made it a point to be as respectful as possible. <laughs> Anything they were like, don't do this. Like, okay, you got it. Like, you know, I remember very specifically, um, you know, they they were like, if you ever find any pottery in the desert, don't take it. And I was like, okay, yeah. And we uh, we were driving around somewhere, and some kid was like, uh, was 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 like, oh look, there's pottery over there. I was like, don't touch it. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't touch it. <laughs> and respect that uh, Canyon Deshay as well. Yes. So uh, here is one final point from Peter, I think, which is very interesting. Okie dokie. And. Uh, Peter writes to us, um, weapons testing uh, using paranormal stories as a cover uh, is, is a possible theory. What's, what say you on this, James? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a possible theory. I, I agree. Yeah, I um, was wondering about that when I was down near Area 51 some years ago, and um, you know, you'd see the government trucks driving along the road there near Rachel with you know government plates, white 18-wheelers, the whole bit. And then I got chased across the desert. So I, I, don't, I don't know um, quite what they were doing, but I, I thought that the UFO thing might, might be a cover-up, and, and then I wasn't so sure. So I, I don't know. So what what are the next steps for you in your own work? Uh, yeah, so I'm 
need to go to Madrid, Spain, to the Museum of the Americas. There's a couple journals that are there. I went to Mexico City uh, thinking that that was where they were located and found out, no, I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, in regards to what some of those early uh, Spaniards, the conquistadors and the priests wrote about, people think that the initial intrusion into Utah was in 1776 with the Dominguez Escalante expedition, which is just totally BS. You have journals written in the, I think the earliest that I have seen was 1541 out of Utah. And guess what it's all about? It's about gold. When they talked about the seven cities of Cibola, they didn't mean actual cities. They meant that there was enough gold to create seven cities um, and that those mines, they already existed. Hmm. So who the hell was mining thousands of years ago? Well, when you talk to the people, it's the Starnake. It's these giants that had tools that made sound. So I'm focusing in on, uh, I think, where a lot of people just don't want to go because they don't think it's possible, even though the, the history is there. They think that those people back in the 1500s and the Native Americans just didn't have the intelligence that we're equipped with uh, yeah. starting in the 19th Big century. Yeah, it's a big mistake. Yeah. So that's my next step, and then uh, I'll be back up for Phenomicon in September uh, in Vernal to present uh, some really, really cool new data, putting it all together. And then I'll be back up in October working in the Uinta Mountains on a couple new sites that we found underground, which are really amazing. And I'm hoping that that'll get us somewhere, uh, I guess I can say, deeper into it all mm-hmm. <laughs> good play on words well that'll be great and uh, we're going to share some stuff with you off the air you might find interesting about areas we're working on and some mm. parallels so let's take away the announcements there Ben indeed and we have quite a few so the Exeter UFO Festival returns it's in September at the Exeter New Hampshire Town Hall and over that's over the Labor Day weekend September 3rd and 4th uh, this is a great event uh, and the whole downtown gets involved it's sponsored sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Along with ourselves, uh, speakers will include Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Jennifer Stein, uh, Bob Terrio, Mike Stevens, Lynn Nickerson, Valerie LaFasso, Mac Maloney, and many others. The subject of our own talk is time storms, with thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randalls, who coined the term. We plan to do our traditional live broadcast from the event on Sunday with a panel of the speakers. This is a very fun event, so if you can join us, please do. You can visit ExeterUFOFestival.org for more details. And uh, Ralph Blumenthal has been added to the speakers list. <coughs> Excuse me. Tremendous, uh, amazing UFO background uh, for Ralph. He's teaching at uh, the summer at uh, Phillips Exeter Academy. Oh, no Right way. up the road from the town hall. Yeah. Very cool. So... Anyway, visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows. And our our thousandth official Garden Variety Radio Show is coming up next year. So we're, we're going to try to do something special for that. Mm. Any ideas, let us know. Anyway, uh, those shows come from, uh, and special broadcasts from, since 2008, from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM, including uh, those that have been restored in the archives there. Also, we hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can download our show app. It's free. doesn't do much, but what do you want for nothing? It'll, um, you'll get the notifications of our shows when they are posted each week. 
uh, because most people, I guess, like to listen, uh, can't listen live, and uh, we just care that you listen. That, that's what we like. And you can find out more about the show at the website, etc. Many cases, public appearances, and how to book us, etc. And you can also visit our charity page on our website uh, with links to several good causes we've adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, Helping Hades Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, the Western Kentucky Tornado Relief Fund. So what's coming up next week, then? Well, next week, uh, that's August 7th, we'll bring you an open line show to answer your questions in all kinds of paranormal subjects. And you can send your questions and comments to paul at behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, I don't know if we have time for a long quote. Well, you can you can do your best. All right. From well, Stan- I lied. We don't oh, okay. have time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save it for next week. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on... Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind 